At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, free agency has slowed to a crawl here. But please keep listening. Uh, we're not much to say on the Damon Harden front, so we'll catch you up on some of the signings. And then we also just need to take some stock of what has happened here. We have a, a bunch of predictions that we like to call Watfos, uh, what are the fucking odds? And then Danny and I would go through and posit different potential outcomes to each other. And so we got a bunch to catch up from, from the season, but also stuff talking about this free agency. And yeah, so that'll, uh, that'll be a fun show to just uh, take stock on some of the things that, that have happened that, you know, may have appeared pretty unlikely if you were trying to predict it. But let's begin here by discussing what has taken place in the last couple of days. Something that will become into clearer focus a couple of days from now, because remember, the moratorium is still going on now, which means that with the narrow exception of like two-way guys, none of these contracts that have been reported are actually signed. And so not only once they're actually signed, but once they get put into a place that they can become a part of the public sphere, which sometimes can take a couple of days, sometimes it doesn't. That gives us significantly more clarity on what these contracts actually are. And we have preliminary reporting from the Houston Chronicle of one of these types of things that can happen. And obviously, you know, we don't have the official contract yet. He hasn't signed it. But the Houston Chronicle is reporting that the third year of Fred Van Fleet's three-year $130 million contract is a team option. Yeah, that's very surprising because it felt like they were going the direction of this idea they were going to meet and you know, it only took three, four hours or whatever it was for Van Vliet to make his decision. But you felt like, oh, for him to make the decision, the Rockets eventually decided to go for a third year. And what that would have done was somewhat compromise their cap space in the summer of 2025. Uh, and with the team option, of course, they could decline it and bring him back at a lower number, potentially. But... That would have knocked their cap space down had that just been a flat number to about 42 million, but that wouldn't include anything for Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun's extensions. And so now, and it could well be, in fact, that this is not even necessarily something where, like, this could be something where it was talked about in advance of, like, hey, let's put this team option on there so we'll have bird rights on you. And in this day and age, when everything just gets done in advance, we can opt you out. Now, of course, you could have done the same thing with the player option. So this is definitely more team friendly, uh, as Dan and I uh, butted heads on at times in the mock off season. But in this age where these options can kind of be ways for the team and player to work together to some degree, if there is a player who's wants to come to Houston and there's a lower number that Van Vliet could do, maybe they could send him out for more years at that point. Or, of course, if, if he's just completely underperforming, maybe move on for him. I mean, or they so could do yeah. the one year. They could do one year dip and then his you know his new signing number would replace it and after that one year van vliet would have full the the rockets would have full bird rights on van vliet yeah but this now i think changes the evaluation of their offseason particularly the fact that they went for the fourth year uh third and fourth year on dylan brooks 
Now, uh, where there's also reporting on Brooks that the 20 million or so per year is going to include some incentives. Again, particularly given that this had to come out in much later reporting, we could well see some team consideration on the end of this Brooks contract as well. But this even, I think, to me, changes your evaluation of the Brooks contract in that now there are there's just way more flexibility for Houston to be a player in 2025, really their last chance to get cap space. And so now it's really all about the development of these young guys. I think they're, other than maybe Brooks on the floor, they've done a lot to put these guys in position to succeed. And if Jalen Green is looking like a future all-star and Shingun is looking like a a solid starter going forward. Maybe someone will want to come to join them. You know, they've still a men Thompson, Jarice with junior. Like they got a lot of young guys that they're going to try to work out. Hopefully maybe two of those guys hit and then you can bring in one more big piece in free agency to supplement or maybe even replace Van Vliet. And that's a big part of why we we try to, you know, we don't do our off-season grades for a while now. Part of that's also summer league, of course, but because we know these contracts will shift in in different ways. And usually they go from being more player-friendly to more team-friendly, not universal in that respect. My favorite example of this was the Martin twins, where at first it looked like it's like, oh my God, you know, Cody Martin got so much more than, than his identical twin Caleb, but then Caleb got, Caleb deal had much more uh i think his had much more player yeah, he got he got, he a, got player a player option, option and, and cody martin got a team on the end so yeah. it ended up being almost the same except more flexibility for caleb exactly and so the, that's why we kind of you know we evaluate them we do cap space and all that as it comes in but it's i i urge patience with this you don't need too much more now probably just a couple more days until this squares up mason Plumley is returning to the la clippers who have been extremely quiet so far in free agency one year, five million. And that's a reasonable number for him. We don't know if it was a discount or anything else. And of course, it is entirely possible that they do something with the Vita Zubats or something else. And that changes his role within the Clippers. But this is, you know, this is actually pretty team friendly backup center money for where the cap is going. Yes. Uh, there was the Dirigir bigger financial offers elsewhere. Maybe that was years. Uh, this seems about right for Plumley, particularly given that he's going into, I think, being 34. This offseason and they're getting him back on this price, getting Russell Westbrook back. Now they had full word rights on Plumley, so it could have gone higher, but uh, particularly with moving on from Eric Gordon, the Clippers do project as of now to be a lot cheaper this season. They are in the repeater tax, but at this moment, do we have Plumley in here yet? No, we don't have him in yet. But uh, at this point, they're still going to be way lower than that tax payment we talked about last time, which was in like, I think it was 138 million. So this, uh, unless they make another move to add a ton of salary, which they can't really do at this point, by the way, because of the new trade batching rules for teams in the second apron. So they're almost certainly going to be right around uh, the level that they're at now, which uh, should be, yeah, about $108 million uh, repeater tax payment. And maybe they can dump some salary at some point uh, in the Harden deal if that happens or uh, at the deadline. But yeah, there's really no way effectively for them to add much more salary than this. And of course, this is another expiring contract that could potentially move or this allows them to maybe move Zubats, although I'm still I'm still skeptical about Mason Plumlee's ability to defend even in a conventional center defense uh, the way that Zubats can or, or uh, you know, say to defend Jokic or I think Zubats much better there so but they, they still felt like they needed a backup center they're not 
believers in this Covington and Marcus Morris. So they just, they need some guys to fill those backup positions. What's next here? We were waiting on the agreement, but the Minnesota Timberwolves and Anthony Edwards have agreed to a designated rookie extension. Now, we don't know if he's going to qualify under the 25 or the 30% max criteria, but notably, Edwards, the most accomplished player from this draft class, did not get a player option on the last year. So it seems like at least for the 2020 class, that was not really on the table. The next key question will presumably be, I think that's all the big the big ones from this class will be whether any of the 2021 guys a year from now play well enough. And that class includes Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, and plenty of others. Yeah, and I think much as teams were cursing the teams that gave Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum player options. Now agents will be cursing John Morant, who went for the full five years. And particularly with the cap going up at the level that it is, probably going to be 10% per year. Now, that won't be too much of a problem because they can always uh, extend after a year. But to just not be able to get out after that eighth year, to be locked in all the way through your ninth year in the NBA in terms of being able to determine your destination, although it seems like pretty much all trade requests are granted these days no matter where you are in your career uh but also just to not i mean even if you love minnesota or john morant loves memphis and just wants to stay there forever simply being locked in to a contract that started at the 25 percent max for that fifth year rather than being able to opt out not only to get a higher salary that year but just to lock yourself in when you're closer to your prime maybe even then start a new contract that again would end and you could get that big third contract as well this just really for a guy of edward stature i would have really held out for the player option and i mean i don't don't see minnesota having much choice in the end but to do it i i would have let this play out uh but minnesota has done well with carl anthony towns andrew wiggins i mean they that ended up being a bad contract but they at least got him no player option either they gave carl town ones on his designated player veteran extension but it's been a good job by them uh and same thing of course uh with the pacers and halliburton and lamello uh, with the hornets for the bucks Giannis Antetokounmpo underwent a cleanup procedure on his knee two weeks ago. Yeah. I believe just, Frank- just to clean up, like just yeah. just wiping some dirt off the knee. It's 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 almost like it didn't even happen. Frank Madden noted that this is he, as this is Giannis's first surgery, which is pretty incredible yeah. that he's made it this far. And I believe it is on the same knee that he injured in the 2021 playoffs. Though thankfully he was able to recover sufficiently and of course win Finals MVP with a ridiculous performance. But you know, it, it seems like it might keep him out of the world cup hopefully he'll be ready to start the regular season but anytime a great player goes through a surgery however minor they claim it is it's important to know yeah and he's had knee issues off and on uh and you know has missed time over the years and uh, this is a second guy in the team coming off a knee surgery so but this is notable that uh, and also notable again that this wasn't something where it happened right after the season they probably just tried to rehab it that meant he was still having some issues and the cleanup means they probably trimmed off some of the meniscus and you just you don't know how much of that that is but this is something that i don't think will hopefully be an issue for him this year but we've seen there is i just have a little bit of a concern of Giannis 
given the way he plays, given some of the, the incredible amount of torque that those huge Euro steps put on his knees, the fact that he doesn't have any kind of outside game, he's continued to become more and more of a force just by doubling and tripling down on his ability to attack the rim. But I think we saw efficiency wise that took a little bit of a toll this year that he wasn't and he wasn't able to shoot from the outside that hurt in the playoff loss as well, where he wasn't able to dominate even with the injury. So let's just keep an eye on this. This is just another little thing where you're like, eh, maybe this guy is not going to be one of the absolute best players in the NBA, say when he's 32, the way you might expect for a guy who has reached the heights that he has. We do have other news on the Milwaukee front uh, that is more positive for them, and that's some high-quality minimum signings. They were able to get Malik Beasley, who the Lakers declined a significantly more lucrative team option on him, and we thought they might pick it up for kind of salary matching purposes. Beasley at the minimum, I thought he was going to get offers stronger than this. And actually, let's talk about him, and then we'll talk about the other one. Yeah, so Beasley, I think Utah wanted to move on from him, and, and he ended up being part of that package with Conley and Jared Vanderbilt that netted that Lakers 2027 pick. But to me, he was playing at about the level where that team option could have got picked up or where he would at least would get pretty decent third guard money. And then he went to LA and after an okay start, just couldn't hit a shot and made enough defensive mistakes that he was out of the playoff rotation. I still think though that he's, I mean, for him to sign for the minimum is very surprising to me. It's just amazing. Some of these guys who are signing for the minimum and just what their brands are is just kind of surprising to me and yeah he didn't play in the for the Lakers in the playoff crucible but like he just bombs threes like he's a real weapon uh getting shots up I think and he was essential to Utah being as good as they were offensively and is essential to Minnesota being as good as they were offensively two years ago so this is interesting in a couple of ways for the Bucs you know just a good player they can bring in something you can actually run plays for quite redundant I would say with Grayson Allen now he may be worse defensively than Grayson Allen is uh, particularly because he doesn't really execute very well and I don't know how well that's going to go over ultimately with Adrian Griffin and he could find himself kind of in the same place to me he would be better off on you know, as a shooting guard coming off the bench on a mediocre team but the Bucks certainly can use more guys to get shots up I think he's a more dynamic shooter than Allen and maybe if not as reliable when wide open and this also if they need to move on from Grayson Allen as matching salary say at the trade deadline Allen is an expiring contract that they can do so while having a, a reasonable replacement yeah that's a really good element of this I'm happy you brought it up and the other buck signing somebody they're very familiar with is Robin Lopez and so Lopez looks like one year at the minimum he has of course been a buck previously has bounced around since then including time in Orlando and Cleveland and who better to back up your star center who just re-upped than his identical twin, even though their games are not the same. But Lopez as a shot blocker, it's something that I think the Bucks have really missed in recent years is the idea that when Lopez and or Giannis is off the floor, just having that other backstop guy. And so I don't think he's going to play a ton for them, but I think he's a good guy to have in the rotation. Yeah, Robin Lopez also provides some insurance in case they move on from Bobby Portis, who could be another possible salary match in a trade. Uh, we'll just have to see whether he can still play or not, because we have had two teams in a row kind of come to the conclusion that he can't. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of an old Robin Lopez team, apologies uh, on this. I missed this initially. I just assumed that Bull Bull had been guaranteed because uh, his original guarantee date was June 30th. He, in fact, had had that guarantee date pushed back and then was waived. Yeah, that was a pretty big surprise, especially because Bull Bull's contract is so reasonable at $2.2 million. Honestly, even if you didn't see him as a rotation player in the immediate, but potentially as a player who could help your team at some point during the league year, you could do that. And Bull Bull getting waived means that he goes through the waiver process. I don't usually think this, but I expect him to be claimed just because so many teams even have like you create trade exceptions this small by accident. So you could see you could see a team that just doesn't have a lot of flexibility. You can add a rotation player on an expiring contract for, or even a like a fringy rotation player at an expiring contract. So I don't know if it's going to be one of the worst teams in the league or one of the best teams in the league. And it's far from certain because the Magic waived him for a reason. But whatever that reason may be, we don't know. But that is, um, I, I still think it's a reasonable contract. I, I'm expecting to see him or to get picked up. So... This is all we would have thought. Hey, he had a pretty good season, started a bunch of games, looked stronger, had some nice offensive moments. We talked about his limitations uh, protecting the rim. Conventionally, a lot of his blocks come on the perimeter, but he was shooting it okay. He was getting to the basket and some big highlights. Kind of a feel good story. Now, part of why he started so much was that they had a billion injuries, and I think they have enough at, at the power forward position going forward. But Bull Bull, and the idea that, because this is what's surprising. All right, maybe the Magic just, they're like, ah, we got too many roster spots, got guys in this position, we want to do him a solid, we move on from him. If he had some sort of a market, he would have just not agreed to push back the guarantee date. He would have just gotten waived on the 30th and gone out into free agency and got another deal. It's a great point. So the fact that he's willing to push back to me indicates maybe that other teams are not really interested in him. And maybe that's just due. Maybe there's some more health stuff that's popped up with him. And usually when a guy signs for way less than you expect, it's not always that, well, the league just doesn't value this guy. It's more that either there's something health wise we don't know about or just the background in terms of what he was like to be around, which has been an issue for him in the past, was really bad. And I mean, particularly given how well he played for them at times, you would think that they would want to keep him around and continue to develop him. But yeah, it really seemed like, uh, so I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, surely there are, yeah, I mean, basically there are enough trade exceptions out there that they're going to need to go through everybody who would potentially claim it. And I think still someone should given the talent that he showed, but that's, uh, I'm interested to see what happens here. Cause this was a, a surprise in, in many ways, but this is bull bull getting drafted lower signing for less etc has been a big theme for the past four years so maybe it shouldn't be a surprise at this point although i thought part of the difference was he hadn't really shown anything on the floor up until last year and i did think he showed enough on the floor to where it's like how is this guy you know not worth a basically minimum contract this year we can't get into it too much because we don't know the terms yet but uh, chris haynes reporting that matisse theibel intends to sign an offer sheet with the dallas mavericks the mavericks have their non-packed hair mid-level spend possibly they don't actually have the full amount of space under the hard cap to do it, at least as far as I can tell at the moment, but they could clear some salary and make it happen. 
And while they cannot negotiate anything with the Trailblazers after an offer sheet is signed, theoretically, if Matisse Thibel wants to go to the Mavs, the Mavs and the Blazers can negotiate something before that offer sheet is signed. And depending on how Portland feels about it, there might be incentives to do so. Yeah, the first day that the offer sheet can actually be signed is tomorrow. This feels like the first salvo in the please don't match, please sign and trade him to us for some piddling asset or maybe even take back JaVale McGee. The problem is that the Mavs are low on even piddling assets uh, as we detailed their second round pick situation going forward is not particularly sexy. So this is intends to sign an offer sheet. Again, he could sign the offer sheet right now. I, I actually, sorry. I mean, there's no strategic reason to sign it because the match clock wouldn't begin until tomorrow. But he could sign it right now. This could be done. But this is basically an attempt to get the Blazers to not match or maybe come up higher themselves. I think Thibault would rather be in Dallas. Don't love the fit of Thibault in Dallas. I mean, they need somebody who can defend. But and the biggest thing they probably need, I mean, they do just need more general playmaking and athleticism. Like he's a good defender. He'll he'll help. But he is maybe a little overrated as like that one-on-one stopper kind of guy, as we both talked about pretty extensively and i would like grant williams as a fit there better grant may just have a higher offer from charlotte i would think though they would have a better chance of working on a sign and trade with boston than with portland because portland it's like hey why not match if this like he's gonna play a ton for them and he, he can just fire some more threes with less of a conscience i mean that's the big thing like he did actually show more ability to shoot the ball in portland than he had dallas is a team with bigger aspirations of course for the mid-level you don't love of what was out there for them they weren't able to get bruce brown you know, max Struess wasn't really their flavor he went for more than mid-level anyway but this feels like an attempt to work out a sign and trade i don't because dallas i mean the other problem with dallas here let's look at their finances right now there's still other stock they're going to use the mid-level they're going to use the mid-level well they have 10 million dollars below the hard cap right now so they can't even use the full mid-level technically until they get off of some other salary. I mean, maybe that would be through a JaVale stretch if they absolutely had to. And then you could probably open up like barely enough room. Uh, and you would not have much in terms of operating space. So this will, this is going to be, it's one of the, oh, so he's obviously intends to sign offer sheet. Like, okay. I'm, if I'm Portland, I'm like, with what? <laughs> like, are you going to uh, sign for the uh, 7.5 million bucks a year? Yeah, we'll match that. No problem. Now he's a good asset for us uh, in trade. And that's the other consideration here for Portland is like, you don't want to negotiate a low a low utility sign and trade if you'd rather just keep the player on the contract that he intends to sign like you could kind of keep it a little bit murky from your perspective but yeah dallas's finances are tough right now and Kyrie took less than his full maximum we don't know if it's less than you know there weren't that many other offers on the table for him near that money there probably were for a lot less but he you know he took less his maximum and what dallas gets with that remaining spending power is dwindling by the day, though dwindling is far from zero. Uh, one more thing here on, on Portland's standpoint. And they have 10 players under contract right now if they move on from Jonathan Williams. And they themselves only have $16 million below the tax. 
So if they were able to get to a full mid-level offer that they had to match, that might complicate them a little bit, particularly because they can't just assume that they're going to get off of money in a Lillard trade because if it's Miami or any of these other teams, you can't do the thing where you're just going to take on 125% and allow Portland to save a bunch of money. So, it, and it, it would really be more useful if Portland themselves could take on some money here. And so it would, if they do bring back Thibel on a deal around the mid-level, that would complicate their planning a little bit here. Uh, but uh, particularly, and that's, of course, I would also, if I were them, like the ability to start Jeremy Grant with a higher salary. This estimates that I'm giving you are with Jeremy Grant starting the lowest he possibly can on that five for 160 deal. I would love to be able to start him higher. So there is some incentive maybe for Portland to not match. Like there will be a little bit of pain, but not enough pain at like 7 million that I wouldn't just match. Like if, if the Mavs have a way to actually clear out all this space, then I'd start to maybe like, eh, you know, I don't know if I want to match that as Portland. We also got the news out of Chicago that the Bulls are signing Tory Craig to a one plus one, so to your contract, presumably at the minimum. I think it can help them. Having another player who is defense first on the wing can be useful. I'm a little bit surprised he's not on the Suns, but the Suns did well with their minimums overall. So it's possible Craig gets more. The the Bulls do have a teeny bit more spending power, but we also don't have Iota soon move resolved so we don't know exactly how much they still have even though the tax is an arbitrary constraint on them because they theoretically could pay it they won't but they could yeah although again i there's i think few teams that would pay the the tax for this level of team i think the greater issue is just that they're this level of team (laughs) than that they won't pay the tax probably Sure. Uh, although, yeah, again, in a big market, you might hope for more. But, yeah, it's not like, you know, the Knicks have been, like, playing the tax the last few years for kind of mid-level-ish teams either. But the Knicks have, like, a bunch of good players on good contracts with the Bulls. Uh, have fewer we, of those. We could go to a team that we go to a team that will pay the tax this year, and that's the Boston Celtics. They signed Delano Banton, guard who was previously with the Raptors. I've liked Banton before. Two years, I'm assuming it's minimum, but what the, what the details are for the second year, I would guess it's something team-friendly. So... Maybe he can fit in the rotation with the absence of Marcus Smart. Probably more of a break glass when somebody's hurt or resting. But I think he can do well in that role. Yeah, I'm just very wary of guys who can't shoot. Now, adding Porzingis helps you there. Maybe he could play some with Porzingis. if. I mean, it's basically going to be a guy who's only coming in generally with injuries. And they do need someone else who's a little more point guardy. Uh, but it, I think there are some other minimum options out there that might have been a little bit better for them. They did pick up O'Shea Brissett uh, already as well. I do think, though, they will feel some pain if they lose Grant Williams. I'm very interested to see how that's going to play out. And, and Grant Williams also seems like one of these guys where if you match that offer sheet, you could probably figure out a way to move him. Although, again, I think we're going to find that just dumping salary in season becomes a lot more difficult. So this, this is, if you are Boston Celtics management, 
this is kind of right on the borderline, right? Like you have some cred with your owner. If you want to go to and say, hey, like we're, we need to pay this much to match on Grant Williams. And because there, there would be some pain for sure, right? Like they actually have a reasonable tax bill right now. If they add Grant Williams, uh, it would get into the kind of unreasonable stage, which, hey, if you win the championship, then maybe you're willing to pay that. As of right now, I, Celtics are. I yeah. hear you want my preliminary numbers on this. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I happen to, I happen to have done this earlier in the day. Um, I have their tax bill as being about 26 million without Grant Williams. And then if let's say theoretically he signs a offer sheet that starts at the full non-tax pyramid level, that would raise their tax bill from 26.3 to 61.6. So that is a difference of 35.3 million just in tax on Grant Williams, though important to note as always that, there are ways to reduce that because the tax is progressive. So the deeper you go in, the more expensive it is per dollar. Yeah. Although this is a team that all of their money is attached to guys who are going to play. Like they don't have an obvious salary cutting mechanism other than by a grant himself. They already got off of Daniel Gallinari in the, uh, what ended up being that, uh, not quite sign in trade, but almost essentially a sign in trade with Porzingis with the option. So, Danny, I witnessed NBA history in person. Woo! On July 3rd, I saw Lester Quinones of the Warriors Summer League team and on a two-way get called for the first flop violation in NBA history. They are testing it out in Summer League. The Board of Governors is going to vote on July 11th in Las Vegas on whether to approve that change. This is a one technical free throw in-game penalty for flops. And then the other thing is that a second coach's challenge would be awarded if the first challenge is successful, although you don't get to keep your time out if the second coach's challenge is successful just for game flow purposes. So, of course, uh, being there in person, hey, I drove all the way up to Sacramento. I might as well. I, I had to ask uh, Lester Quinones uh, exactly what do you thought about being the first player to ever get called for a flopping violation? So I, I got to ask you this. I think you may have been the first person to ever get a flopping technical today. <laughs> what, what are your What are your thoughts on that? What, what I happened? Mean, I talked to him afterwards. Uh, I told the rep I did sell it a little bit, but he still hit my arm after the three. I made it. Um, obviously, it's a new rule. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I mean... There's nothing I can really say to that. I tried to see if we can challenge it. Cause I, he definitely yeah. hit my arm on that. And I just sold it a little bit. But, I mean, it's a new rule. I don't know if I like it. But, hey, it's nothing I can do about that. I can't control that. Will that make you think twice about... Oh, definitely not. He hits my arm again, I'm falling again. <laughs> what do you think of this rule uh, overall, Danny? I worry a little bit about how it will be executed. Flops can be very hard to call in live action. If the league ever went to that idea of a fourth official watching the TV feed, it'd probably be easier. But I think it has the right aim. The And, and doing an in-game penalty is so much more potentially effective than a post penalty. I will note that soccer has simulation fouls that are reflective, though a little bit different than this. So if you can see it, if you can call it, then 
by all means, I want to see it in practice. But overall, you know, it, it's not as low hanging a fruit for me as some of the modifications to like the transition take foul and some of the ones they've made and some of the ones they still need to make. But I think they're trying something here and I'm happy about that. Yeah, it's really, I think, to just cut down on some of the viral clips maybe even a little more PR like this will I don't expect this to be a common occurrence I do expect it to be a very common occurrence of because after this got called of course players were asking for a flopping technical on every (laughs) every foul that was called after that like it was happening with the transition take ball in the playoffs but i think there's no reason not to have this this is really more of a constraint i think it's not even necessarily it's going to get called that often but it'll just the guys who are just like absolutely launching themselves backwards at crazy angles now this is when we saw i think the criteria will be similar to when there were the flopping fines where it's just you know if you go down with no contact at all and just like flail your arm backwards and stuff i think generally if there is contact which is then, you know, like, let's say you're trying to take a charge and the guy like slightly runs into you and you fall backwards way harder. I don't think that is there. But if you get hit, you know, fake like you're getting hit in the chin or something, that's something else. And then you, they also don't have to stop play to call it, which I really like. That's a great, yeah, they can assess it and kind of and, and do it later on. I, that's a great nuance here. And the league should be considering that in other circumstances as well. Yeah. And the second challenge I think is good too, if you're successful with the first one. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, we missed this in Orlando. Anthony Parker is being promoted to GM there. You'll recall that uh, his playing career was a lot of grinding in Europe, became one of the best players in Europe uh, playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, when they had, I don't know, it was quite a dynasty, but a really successful run. And then he ended up uh, being on some of those LeBron Cavs teams, uh, really made an NBA career out of nothing. And then he's done pretty similar in the executive ranks. Like he really started as a pretty low level scout, saw him around everywhere in the or middle part of the last decade and you know he's uh, moved up now to being uh, the number two man behind Jeff Weltman as John Hammond is uh, in his late 60s transitioned into a senior advisory role the Philadelphia 76ers unsurprisingly are guaranteeing DeAnthony Melton's eight million dollar salary for 23-24 he was partially guaranteed before they're fully guaranteeing that is exactly the right decision yeah and they, 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 well they Indiana. actually oh, oh yeah yeah he actually his guarantee date was July 3rd so yeah that's it it's not like they're even like doing him a favor i just had to guarantee nope. him and of course they will they are doing what they were not obligated but well you know they they should have done and for the spurs victor wambanyama is saying he expects to play one or two games in vegas for selfish reasons i'm hoping it's two because i will not be there for game one but we will have to see and we won't talk about this every time but colby jones of the sacramento kings i believe he was the 34th pick he is one of the early players signed using the brand new second round pick exception that is a wrinkle in the 23 CBA. Yeah, so there are two ways that this can work. The big thing that matters, 
you used to see teams not sign their second round picks until like after summer league, even in some cases, because they just didn't want that guy on the books if they're trying to use cap space or or it needed the roster spot or whatever. And so that I think the league and the player association, neither of them really, you know, wants guys playing in summer league who aren't actually signed yet. And so this enables them to do that because the rule is that someone signed pursuant to this exception does not show up on your salary cap until I can't remember whether it's 30 days after signing or 30 days or, or like I August think it's 1st. I think it's August 1st yeah. or July 31st. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's date based. So uh, you can sign right now. And then just, uh, you know, I talked to someone the other day. He was like, yeah, the guy signed, but he shows up in the league salary cap database as of right now as having a contract worth zero dollars. So it doesn't uh, affect you at all. And there are two possible structures now under this. Uh, you can sign either a three year contract or a four year contract and the three-year contract has a smaller amount of money available in the first and second years the four-year contract has more it's about two hundred thousand dollars per year less in the first year and this of course this exception i will go up with the salary cap like all the rest of them do but the idea there is hey if you're getting a four-year deal now you you can at least give the player more money in the first year a three-year deal you can't give them as much i've also seen a little bit of confusion out there that you have to give them all of this because remember the rookie minimum is still less uh than 1.8 million for the three year 2 million for the four year the rookie minimum is just over a million you this is just the most you can give them it's subject to negotiation between that and the rookie minimum and so teams like the Suns and the Bucks who both signed first round picks in the 50s recently I would be shocked if those guys for those teams that are in the tax got above the actual rookie minimum and then the final thing that's new here this came up with Eugene Omiuri where I'm still trying to figure out how he signed that team option that was non-guaranteed it used to be on all contracts that if you had if you wanted to have a team option that was also non-guaranteed then the previous year had to be non-guaranteed as well the option year has to match the guarantee structure of any previous years now however you can have have a non-guarantee team option in that last year even if you're fully guaranteed up until that time just specific to these contracts so this gives more flexibility for teams and also i think just everyone at least on the team side appreciates this i think even on the player side appreciate it too because you now you don't have to deal with this all right well if you want to give them four years and you're over the cap you gotta it's got to go into your mid-level exception and you can only do three years if or it would even be the in fact actually there would be for a team in the second apron there would be no possible mechanism other than this now to give a guy three years uh for a second round pick uh now for guys who are just being signed who are not second round picks then the old rules would still apply here so i mean that's actually kind of another interesting thing is that if you're a well yeah it it might be a shift because remember there was this stretch of time where players didn't want to be taken in the second round Mm, in the mm. late part of the second asked off of it i think fred van vliet is one there are many many examples of that now because of the additional spending power and you could even see players potentially move around a little bit in the second round based on you know like is the team willing to give you that you know that three-year version that four-year version get you more get you more security more structure than the minimum yeah i think just a generally to have more structure to the second round which is a little bit of a wild west i mean not that much no no second round is going to get that much but uh it was it is useful here and teams could be like hey we can't pay you unless we do this structure so uh and i believe you 
mentioned it, but it bears emphasis. This is a new exception rather than cutting into any of the other ones. I believe that teams do still have the flexibility to use one of their other exceptions on this. They just probably won't. You know, there aren't that many circumstances. Like you could use cap space or something else if you really wanted to sign the second round pick because there's no rookie scale. But it is a great tool, especially for expensive teams. And we've talked a lot about how expensive teams got burned hard in the new CBA. This is a benefit. And and honestly, this is a benefit for both players and owners. Like this is like a good governance reform is is one way of thinking about it. And then we well, and and you can think about this in some ways as the Jalen Brunson rule too, especially the the non guaranteed team option. Because remember, Jalen Brunson or the or the every Lakers second round pick ever rule. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Although it wouldn't apply to Austin Reeves because he was not a draft pick. But uh, yeah, but Brunson, remember, he was non guaranteed in his last year, and maybe the Mavs would have wanted to if they had the team option opt him out instead they had to just guarantee him for that last year and then he was forced to become an unrestricted free agent and of course it ended up leaving so i think you like the idea if you want to have that last year non-guarantee but also if the guy blows up you can opt him out and still have him be restricted uh ryan repair uh who was drafted by the blazers he ended up signing the three-year version of that deal so it'll be interesting. some guys are going to sign the four-year some guys will sign the three-year that'll be interesting and more importantly according to Woj, the blazers are not impressed with my Miami and what they have to offer in a trade so again it seems like we're gonna be allowing this to play out and that's what should happen i i don't to me as i just try to look at it from a ten thousand foot view i don't think that portland has an obligation to send damian Lillard to only one place that he wants to go like that's what the money is for he signed that extension of four years he's asking for a trade now uh you know he would if he hadn't signed that extension for four more years or, or two more years at just an insane number with a player option in his age 35 and 36 seasons like he wanted that monetary security if it were a situation where he's going to be a free agent sooner he probably could say no miami or bust now though it's a little harder to do that i do think portland has an obligation to not send him to somewhere i don't think they have to send him to where he wants to go i would say their moral obligation is to not send him somewhere he doesn't want to go but if you're sending him so, to a so contending he, team then i think he can't really complain too much so not getting the boat but getting something else yeah yeah so all right is that it here we uh we ready to head for uh watfo we are and so we're gonna do this in chronological order of when the watfo was made and they're gonna cover a lot of different ground because we never really did a watfo update during the postseason and we had a number of them that related to that um and we'll start with one of the cheaper ones that i got um was the question from july 1st of 2022 more than a year ago of whether the Minnesota Timberwolves would make the final eight be a member of the playoffs in 22-23. I said it was an 84% chance. You said a 60% chance. It didn't look like it was going to happen for periods of time, but it did. They did make the playoffs. So it counts as, you know, it counts as a version of a win for me, though you had it over 50% as well. Yeah, I said 60% chance. You said 84% chance. I would say just based on how it played out that my estimate was closer to what their actual chances were but uh, of course uh, when it does happen and you have the higher estimate uh, you get the points then we have one that i didn't expect to resolve this quickly and i'm good we're gonna say that tech even though technically it is possible that it could swing the other way that it won't um the question was from a couple days later would bradley beal be a washington wizard at the start of the 24 25 season not at the start of the coming season the year after that 
And considering he's already been traded to the Phoenix Suns and maintains a no trade clause, I think it's fair to say that he will not be. So this is a pretty big L for both of us. Um, I had it as an 88% chance that he would be a wizard. You had it 77. A lot of things have changed since then, including the most important of those being their front office and Ted Leonsis's, at least for part of the time, willingness to be pushing for that midline. But that is something that can happen. And so I'm, you know, in many ways, I'm happy for the results, even though there is a loss here, just because this is the type of thing that the Wizards needed. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think it's just noteworthy. And simply the fact that the contract itself was signed and signed in the way that it was, was an indication that he would be there. Their strategy was they're going to continue to try to build. They had just gotten Porzingis and Tommy Shepard was still there. And if you're like, hey, our plan is to move this guy in a year, you probably don't give him the no trades clause. So this, I think, is an indication. And of course, like things can always change, right? But given what we knew of Ted Leonsis at the time, simply the nature of the contract, what the Wizards have always done, that you know Tommy Shepard would be fired and they'd bring in Michael Winger and Michael Winger would have basically carte blanche, it seems like, to take a flamethrower to this franchise. Kyle Kuzma is still there, but they presumably just re-signed him to trade him. And so I think this is more just an indication. I don't even think that we like made a bad call here on saying that the odds of him being around in two years were very high. Also, there, you know, there's kind of the Noah trade clause aspect to this <laughs> this contract too, of, of where you know you don't need a no trade clause because you could be like Joe Kim Noah and just not be tradable. Uh so yeah, this just shows to me what a remarkable change it's been in Washington, and I think certainly for the better uh, as of now, and uh, we'll see a couple of years from now how their rebuild uh, is looking. From there, we move back to the season itself and one from October, October 8th, 2022. Um, the odds that one of the, it looked like there was a clear bottom four in the Western Conference of the Utah Jazz, the San Antonio Spurs, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Houston Rockets. What were the odds that those four did not have the four worst records? I said 30%, so basically 70% chance it was going to be those four. You said a 40% chance that it would, that somebody else would jump, or 60% chance that somebody else would jump in. You were far closer to the pin, even though this actually, for a brief period of time, got kind of close, but then Portland pushed their way in. You not only were right on the substance, but you got the actual win, which is good because like, there was that weird point, but they they weren't the four worst team because the Jazz were far better earlier on and the Thunder were it a lot of times. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that the Jazz actually, uh, given how well they played, ended up with one of the, the four worst records in the end. If that had, uh, but I guess it was, uh, and you know, the Lakers really struggled for a while. Uh, also, they were 13th in the West. I think, I don't remember, was that the trade deadline or shortly before that and but it just seemed like to say and everyone was saying at the time oh yeah it's going to be these four these are the four that are not trying but between injuries between being better than expected between just better coaching than expected and utah frankly like now part of the reason maybe you thought this was that you figured utah if they were successful would trade guys away at the deadline and they did but they had built up such a a cushion by that point that they were still uh in contention and not be one of the worst records so uh but okc was uh, the one that really ended up taking care of it making the play in in the end but yeah it's just again i think you we probably always ascribe to uncertainty that's why i came up with this one because i was like i i wanted to see to just acknowledge that uncertainty at the time through this question and that that was sort of where i was going with that one and i think it was a a great question worked out worked out well for kind of our thought processes even if my my end up result wasn't fantastic at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play 
From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. A uh, next one was inspired by the MVP race that we were, I think we were looking at in our preseason predictions at the odds for MVP. And so I believe the top five in in the uh, odds were Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, and Kevin Durant. And it seemed like a pretty wide open year. And so what were the odds that the regular season MVP was somebody other than somebody in that group? I The most notable omission there being Joel or being Nikola Jokic, but Steph Curry also also not in that group. And I said a 38% chance it was somebody other than those five. You said a 30% chance and you were closer to the pin because Joel Embiid was in that five and he won the award. Yeah, I mean, that was, so we did that right at the uh, start of the regular season. Next one, we moved on. This was a couple weeks after Miles Bridges had pled no contest uh, to the felony domestic violence allegations. Uh, We asked whether his next NBA game would be with the Charlotte Hornets and it will be uh, in uh, unless he just gets injured or something and then play somewhere else uh, almost certainly he is re-signed with the charlotte hornets on that qualifying offer it's interesting though what we thought of it at the time it was such a weird situation because he we at that point we weren't sure about the qualifying offer and like we i think i thought it was a chance that he was going to sign the qualifying offer and then just like kind of let it expire you know we already had the inklings that he might not play in the nba that season but that charlotte might just be bad the, P, the pr might just be too much for them to bear and it might be easier in some ways for another team i think i underrated the incumbency element of it and i mean considering like they had an ownership change right around this time like it it, there were moments where it seemed like it could be less likely but considering the hornets retained restricted rights and everything else like so 35 percent, 40 percent, and it ended up it ended up happening yeah and if we had known at the time which wasn't publicly known that there was this agreement he was just going to sit out the season i surely would have gone a lot higher uh, that there was kind of a a feeling of the playing ball but yeah i was i think there was a lot of negative PR in the local market at that time as well but that was that in retrospect those numbers were too low uh, both of our guesses for sure around Thanksgiving we did the odds that the Sacramento Kings would make the 2023 playoffs your Kings optimism which was true in the over-unders and was true here bore out you had it as a 50% chance I had it as a 25% chance of course did and they made it as a strong seed like they had a wonderful wonderful seed yeah I've certainly always been a, a supporter of the Kings franchise and that them always overperforming expectations so glad to see that that worked out to my benefit but by that point we had a month and a half of the season in the books and their offense was looking really really good and also more importantly it was pretty clear that nobody else was looking that great at that point now Denver Denver would start to really kind of make their run if memory serves in these next two months and I think the Grizz started off relatively slowly too they went on a little bit of a run as well but it was you know there really wasn't anyone separating so I thought they had a decent chance of making I still would have maybe thought they went through the play and I was kind of probably more envisioning that at that point but yeah what was their record on uh November 29th yeah I can pull it up thank you to basketball reference for this one uh the Kings were 10 and 9 at this point but they actually were uh in the the sixth seed and also recall they started 
started 0-5. And no, no one ever remembers that now. And they had been playing a lot better. Like the, their point differential, their defense was really bad, but some of the analytics were saying they were getting unlucky uh, in terms of the shots that uh, opponents were hitting the, against them from outside. Uh, then we also discussed the Warriors asking whether they would finish with a top four record in the West. They did not end up being the sixth seed and defeating the aforementioned Kings in a seven-gamer. You take this one, you said a 47% chance. I said 63% chance. My thinking was, well, they finally got this Wiseman in the second unit, Albatross, out of the way. They're starting to get the bench thing figured out, and Klay Thompson is going to play better. But then they had some more injuries with Steph Curry and just never fully found their footing. Andrew Weaver. Wiggins ends up missing basically the entire second half of the season. I mean, I didn't think that they had like a crazy amount of injuries compared to everyone else, but it was uh, no more like yeah. a crazy amount of inconsistency or consistency, if you want to call it. They're they're how awful they were on the road throughout the year. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I thought that wasn't necessarily going to continue, and and it did. This is another interesting one here from that same day. Yeah, we did a bunch of Watfos. I think that was one where we each picked five. Um, Anthony Edwards, Car- that Carlington Towns had just gotten hurt. I think this might have been the one that inspired the series series of watch foes um towns had just gotten hurt and so it was what are the odds that edwards averages 25 points or more from that point until when towns returns whenever that is it ended up being 50 games and edwards averaged 25.6 i had it as a 45 percent chance you had it as a 36 percent chance so neither of us was above 50 but it did happen and then this one chris Stapps porzingis I asked whether he, because he was off to a pretty good start here, the chances of him being a Washington Wizard at the start of the 23-24 regular season. Again, going back to this same idea of what their plan was, we knew that Porzingis had the player option. I think this was really the first time, uh, there was probably an assumption that he was just an obvious opt-in when he was essentially dumped from Dallas. And then he started playing well. If you're like, "Eh, maybe it's going to opt out here. Uh, In the end, it didn't seem like there was a lucrative deal for him out there. But he uh, and his agent were able to engineer the trade to Boston with the opt-in. And then uh, that extension shortly thereafter for $30 million a year. So I thought it was an 82% chance he would still be there. You said 75. And uh, both of us were way too high on uh, that happening in the end. Again, with just uh, an indication of at least what our percentage was at the time that Washington had this certain plan and they were just going to continue the same strategy they'd always had and that now is no longer the case. We also did one that same day of whether Luka Doncic would lead the NBA in scoring at the All-Star break if he was eligible and he did. Uh, 71% chance for me, 64% for you. So we, that helps that helps our numbers overall for, for both of us. Um, we've since moved on a lot from, from that point and so we can move to Jeremy Grant. This was right around the time we're like, oh, he hasn't signed the extension yet. Wonder what's going on. And he was was whether he would get his that four years 112 million either by extension or free agency well he didn't get four for 112 he ended up getting significantly more than that so great work for jeremy grant he you know bet on himself in a way and he cashed out yeah absolutely i mean him getting the most guaranteed money this offseason in the end i assume that's the case again we ought to be 100 percent sure when the actual contract is signed if there's not some team consideration on the end there but yeah no he certainly and, and got there I, 
if I didn't mention it, I had a 65% chance of that happening. You had it as 55. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking to say it was only 55. If he was turning. What? Well, I, you know, you know what? I guess we. What? Yeah, I guess I, it just seemed like it was. The Blazers tax situation. There were a number of different. Yeah. Different considerations there. Um, I mean, and also like Jeremy Grant, he signed what we thought was a value contract the time before. Like there, there have been moments where he hasn't quite gotten the full respect of the market. The last question of that same day was whether the Boston Celtics would finish with the East best record. You and I were both confident. We both were around 70%. I was at 71. You were at 70. And they did not. They ended up with the number two seed as the Milwaukee Bucks passed them to finish number one. Yeah, they had, I think it was a 20 and five start looking like the best offense in NBA history. As you always like to say, there's a reason that full season stats take uh, the full season to actually accumulate. And I think they by point differential were by far the best Milwaukee had some luck in close games it looked like you know Chris Middleton's status was up in the air they had the Bucks had that great start but then they had fallen off they'd had a stretch of going 500 and so I think I, I feel decent about having picked this the Celtics underperformed a little bit more than would have been expected the Bucks way overperformed and particularly overperformed their point differential so if they if they finished with the best point differential I don't feel too bad about saying it was a, a 70% chance I think most people at that time would have gone even higher than we did. I agree. And speaking of overperforming, the New Orleans Pelicans, we've kind of forgotten about this a little bit now, they were really strong defensively in the beginning of the season. And so I believe this is one that I generated, was whether the Pelicans would finish eighth, would be eighth or better, including the glass defensive rating from that point, December 14th on. I said it was a 42% chance of it happening. You said 35 and your skepticism was rewarded. They were 13th in the league after that. So barely better than league average average during not the second half of the season but from december 14th on yeah that could be a great tagline for this podcast your skepticism is rewarded (laughs) (laughs) however it was not in one of the one of the ones that i feel like we could we could have renewed for a long time every year we we at the trade deadline, basically after it already happened, we did the, is John Collins going to be a Hawk after the next trade deadline in 2024? And he didn't even make it to the 23-24 season. He is now a member of the Utah Jazz. So I had it as a 36% chance the Hawks would move him before that. No, 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 no. Uh, that they would not oh, move him. Oh, he's still a Hawk. Yeah, no, we were right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We were right. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, we said, what are the chances he's still a Hawk? So the fact uh, we said both of us had uh, substantially less than a 50% chance that he would still be a Hawk after 24 deadline. So yeah, we were, uh, we, we assumed that he would be moved. You'd said 36% chance. I said 38% chance. So we were in lockstep on that one. Next up on March 3rd, with the odds that the Rockets would end the season with the worst record in the league by themselves, I believe this is already the point where I had started to put together that like end of the game sheet that I do, which I believe subscribers have have access to now and they had this relatively hard schedule and i thought they were going to you know do what they needed to do and instead that did not happen detroit ended up with the worst record in the nba and was rewarded with the <laughs> fifth pick in the draft um but i had it as a 71 percent chance that, that the rockets would end with the worst record in the league by themselves you said 60 percent. you were closer to the pin yeah i think my thinking there was just that the rockets were at least gonna they hadn't really tanked that hard the previous year and that they were gonna largely play their guys on the end playing their guys got them to one of the worst records in the league but that other teams might just go harder into the tank even than they did and they might actually win a few games as they did this was this was a really good one who came up with this was this you or me who 
came up with this one. Which one? The number one? Are you? Oh no, no, no! One? Sorry, yeah, I was skipping over that. Yeah, uh, let, let's do this. Oh, one. We'll, yeah. we'll do. We'll do. Yeah, we'll do that one quickly first. Um, this was. I know you did the one that we're going to talk about now. Yeah. Of what are the odds that the number number one pick goes to a team with a selection that is not their own? It was a relatively low chance. So these are some of the lowest odds we've ever had for one of these. I said a three point five percent chance. You said a five percent chance, and it was a zero. It ended up not happening. So that worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, the Lakers the making the playoffs and yes. uh, ended up being because that was really uh the most likely way i think the only way that that was that could I have think happened there was one other but there, well there was no other one the, the bulls uh and the mavs were had top four protection anyway so the mavs had top 10 protection so there wouldn't have been any any other pick that was out there in the top 10 that could have become number i think the lakers would have been the only possible well actually the wolves would have been out there too had they not made the playoffs also that would it was unprotected so there were a few teams out there that you know could have finished in the 13 14 range by that point and so i tried to kind of mirror those odds uh but in the end uh you were correct uh to be lower than, than me but this one was awesome this uh that a team and this yeah. one i i remember i did create it and originally if i had not been on paternity leave i wanted to do this again bef- once we knew the seating for the playoffs but we didn't have the chance to do the second yeah that a team seated six or worse would win a playoff series and i think part of the reason you like this is that i said it was only a 40 percent chance you said a 56 percent chance and not only did it happen it happened three times and what originally well well no it happened more than three times uh because the heat won three playoff series just on their own (laughs) yeah so three teams did it how many combined i believe they won a combined five series uh they won a combined six. six series yeah. Oh, we should, we should, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way we could do this before the start of the season. I think it was juicier because in, in March, we didn't know everything, but we knew some stuff. Well, we knew we the Kings would be the things. three seed. That was the biggest one that I was focusing. I think, I think we, we assumed there was like a 0% chance of it happening in the East. That was, I mean, that was right. the biggest uh, thing that, I mean, it just again, like the fact that the Miami Heat beat the Bucks, it just, how unbelievably shocking that was. I think we kind of, we forget, you forget about how, and like now the Heat might be getting Lillard and like they're just like right back okay they're just as much of a contender as the rest of these teams you kind of forget like they were just such ass in the the regular season it was, and so that it really came out of absolute nowhere other than just that they had the institutional knowledge of having been there before so this was more based on i think the kings being the three seed that was kind of where i uh, I, I mean even at that point i think that the lakers would have beaten the grizz i forget when exactly the morant thing happened that might have been right around this time but uh then this one i think you and i were both in the end too low given how things played out particularly given that things went absolutely as terribly as they could have for Kyrie in Dallas from a team perspective. He, he himself, I thought, played okay. But the question was whether he would be a Mav at the start of the 23-24 regular season. And you said yeah, but 70. I mean, but Kyrie Irving is the is the human decision variance yeah. machine. Like, I mean, that's, that's the fundamental well, challenge. Well, and also... I mean, we figured that the Lakers would try to get him and they never really attempted to do that. That that was no, really where we, uh, and, you know, who knows, maybe LeBron's little uh, dis- 
uh, decision to pretend like he was going to retire was, uh, you know, an attempt to influence the organization in that direction, but he never, never much succeeded. Uh, but yeah, 65% chance for me, 70% chance for you. I mean, we assumed they were going to make the playoffs probably at that point, be dangerous. And of course they didn't even make the play and they ended up tanking, they kept their pick, but for all that to go wrong and for him to still return with, oh, and for, by his standards, a minimum of drama, there was the, uh, the sun's meeting. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that lasted too long, but uh so this we probably should have been higher uh in retrospect uh, on both of them. a couple more to work through um one that i actually was so invested in that i kept on checking it while i was on paternity leave um which was the chances that the raptors would finish by both committing the fewest turnovers as a percentage of their possessions and forcing the most it was something that had never happened in in at least the, the easily tracked nba history i said it was an 81 percent chance of happening they led in both by a decent margin as of march 3rd you said 60 percent chance and it ended up happening yeah pre- pretty remarkable there yeah these statistical ones i'm always kind of they don't provide as much analysis to me after the fact they're just they're, like they're the only ones i should do if my goal is to best you in this that and that and ban you from doing any involving ben simmons <laughs> yeah I, I, and here i thought the goal maybe should be to try to come up with the questions that are most interesting to the listeners but oh, but yeah, but, but if your goal wants to be to just well, beat I loved, me instead, I, loved, I, I mean i did that one because i was just tantalized <laughs> by it like that was the one no me, that was so. good i mean i hadn't realized that that was the case that that was a yeah. interesting statistical nugget there uh yeah i think this one was inspired by a league pass game that we did that um jalen williams the big jalen williams on the on the oklahoma city thunder at that point was i think he was a few charges taken behind i want to say it was brunson or lowry for the most in the league but he remember started the year not really playing much for the thunder and so it was the odds that he would finish leading the league in charges taken i had as a 50 50 chance you had a 65 and jalen williams ended up finishing with the league lead by 10 43 over 33 for kevin love yeah this is the the big jalen williams in case the people miss that uh yeah and he only played 914 minutes and 49 games I mean, especially for a 20 year old too that's that's even like you would think that that kind of requires a lot of experience but yeah i mean that's that's just an insane absolutely insane number uh this one russell westbrook this is the criteria were a little bit nebulous but we said is russell westbrook going to still be a starter for the clips at the end of the regular season and as it turned out paul george wasn't healthy so if paul george wasn't healthy it made a lot more sense to start him this was the spirit of this question was hey how good of a fit is he really when he doesn't defend and he can't shoot and he needs the ball when you're playing with both Kawhi and pg but uh, that never really ended up becoming an issue and also he just got a lot better defensively with the clippers than he had been with the lakers this was basically right after he had signed i don't think he had even necessarily played more than a game or so with the clippers at that point so yeah he started and and had a a decent playoffs in the end and now he's back with the clippers and presumably their starter once more i was still a bunch more of these here actually but uh, i think we'll save that until tomorrow and see if we can get this one out real quickly and we'll talk to you all again soon till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.